Thank you. you. May be seated. We want to welcome you to worship this morning. And for those of you online, we want to welcome you and invite you to join us. And if it's your first time, please um, go on our site and fill out the Family Life card and turn it in to us. If you find one on the um, back of the seat in front of you and you need to turn that in today, uh, be sure to put it in the offering plates at the, at the end of the um, service. This is August. This is not April, so it, it's, it's August. And we're worried about, in fact, we had a small flood in the basement already this morning here. And so I don't know what we need to do, but be grateful that we've got rain um, and hope that it comes in proportions that we can live with. But these days, we're having to make adjustments to a lot of things that we don't think we can live with. And we've come this morning to worship a God who is able to equip us to meet the unexpected. Let's pray. Our Father, we come this morning to worship you, to sing your praises, to glorify you in our hearts, to bring our prayers before you. We lay burdens and we rejoice over many things that you bring into our lives. So, Lord, this mixture of things, we bring here this rainy morning knowing that you, the creator of the universe, will create our futures, will create today for us, and make it possible for us to fill it with life, the life that you have inspired us to live. So, Lord, bless our worship, bless each aspect of it, may each of us leave this morning or turn off our computers this morning knowing that we have been in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, next Tuesday is the last Tuesday that we're responsible for delivering the um, Whiteside lunch programs. You need to meet here if you're going to help at 11.30 a.m., that all, I don't know what's going to happen now. Um, we, uh, my grandson told me yesterday, he, the one who attends Belleville East, that they have been told to prepare to start school at, with distance learning. So um, many uh, schools in our area are either making that decision or making plans to welcome their students back with as much safety as possible. So pray, pray for them and what that means for uh, Whiteside and the children that we've been serving there, the children that depends upon schools for uh, these meals, um, we'll just have to see how adaptable we all need to be. Prayer meeting, you look look for in your email for the link to prayer meeting at 7 o'clock on Tuesday. Um, we're continuing our Deuteronomy Bible study, just not this week. Um, we have a conflict and we'll pick that up uh, next week. And we still need volunteers. Um, a few more of you need to contact the church office if you can help on Sunday morning uh, with greeting and door opening, okay? At the end of the service, we are going to go into a business session and we're going to elect uh, board members. Those of you who are members of the church and 15 years of age 
are welcome to participate in that. If you're not in the building because your concerns about coming back together at this time, you need to get up here before 1 o'clock. We'll hold um, the balloting open until 1 o'clock. So we're, we're going to go into business session immediately following the service, uh, but the voting will remain open for you to have time to get here and do that. So we invite you to um, prayerfully consider um, your participation in this election. Would you stand with me as we read together from the 22nd Psalm? I'll begin reading in the 11th verse. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls encircle me. Strong bulls of Asham surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a raving and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs are all around me. A company of evildoers encircles me. My hands and my feet have shriveled. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far away. O my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword of my, my from the sword, my life from the power of the dog. Ready? This is a time in our service when we join in prayer. I would invite you at this time to remember where we are. That we are before the throne of God. We've been here. It's just easy for us sometimes to forget it. It should move us into an attitude of prayer. And that isn't true just for those of us gathered in the sanctuary this morning. That's true for each of us that are joining together. Now, I'm sure this isn't what Jesus had in mind when he said, where two or three are gathered together in my name. But as I said earlier, our God is a God that can help us adapt. And those of you who aren't physically in this room are joining us in prayer. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. So, let us pray, knowing we are before God's throne. Father, how can we bring to you all of the concerns that we have? We're going to forget something. We're not even going to be aware of some of the things that are impacting us. Some things are going to be so difficult we can't even 
find words to express them. And there are going to be instances of joy, almost as ecstatic, that we need to share with you. So Lord, we know with confidence that you're aware of more in our lives than even we are. So knowing that, we come to you and offer our prayers this day because there are those among us whose bodies need attention. Belinda and Evert are going to be talking with hospitals and having procedures this week. And those who are attending to them, we pray will be able to bring their best skills to bear. But we also pray for them that, that a sense of your presence will diminish their fear and apprehension. And Lord, may those of us who aren't there remember to pray for them on Wednesday and at other times as well. Lord, members of our community are traveling today and our families are traveling today. Some college students are going back and we, we know that they're going into an uncertain situation. Uh, so give them wisdom on how to protect themselves and others but also give them wisdom on how to get as much out of the learning opportunities they have in uncertain times. It's going to require them, them being more intentional, working on their focus, and evaluating their priorities. We pray for them that they will have these abilities because they know you are with them. But there also, Father, there are a range of responses that we're having these days to life. Some of us just feel sad, and we're, it, it, it's an unspecified sadness. We just feel that way. Others of us feel alone because of the distance. Remoteness has cut us off. And many feel fear fear to do the usual things, to see the usual people, to hug a grandchild. Lord, we know that you know these things about us. Bring us guidance and comfort. For the sin that is loose in our midst, we pray, Lord, that we will repent and you will heal us. For the indifference that keeps us at arm's length, we pray, Lord, that it will be named. And Father, for the anger that boils beneath the surface of our minds. Let it not become sin. So Lord, we come to worship now because we have nowhere else to go to find the answers we need except before you. We pray this 
for the sake and in the power of the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now, some of you have already tended to, to giving and returning God's blessings back to Him by doing it online. Some of you will do it this morning when you leave the service. Um, remember that we are stewards, and part of that stewardship is dealing with the material things that God has given us. But that stewardship extends into all the gifts that God has given us. Now, I don't want this to be too big a surprise. The world's a dangerous place. In fact, it's so dangerous that it continues to create new ways to attack us. This is evidently a new strand of COVID that we're dealing with. That's why it's having such dramatic effects. It's brand new. The world not only is dangerous as in old ways. I mean, you wouldn't be surprised if I told you that Brenda and I had a, a young man who worked for us in Burundi who didn't report to work one morning, and the man he was living with came and told us he was dead, 16 years old. A black mama had fallen out of the rafters of the house on the end of the bed and bit him on the foot, and he never woke up. That's surprising, but it's not new. That's been going on for a long time. The world is a dangerous place. It has pains and scars that are always available to be seen. And all of that damages us. Now, this damage and this brokenness, we believe as Protestants, that is a result of that, those first two folks who failed us, Adam and Eve. They broke faith with God and they broke faith with each other. And sin came into the world. And you and I have only been able to add to it. So much so that we talk about it being part of our nature. It happens so frequently. The creation is broken. The garden became a wilderness. And for most of our human history, we have been threatened by our environment, those things that come out of it. But now, the greatest dangers that face us are those things that we are doing to each other and to our environment. But what is interesting, what has been our response? Our societal response is we have created great ways to avoid seeing these things. We can go for months and years if we aren't paying attention without seeing any significant pain, except maybe on the evening news. But I guarantee you, one day, the brokenness and dysfunction of our world comes home. And it, we can keep it beyond our awareness until... Now, see, that's the trick. That's the tricky part, because you don't know what that until is. You may have already experienced it. But it may be lurking out there like a rake in the, large, in the tall grass, ready to, 
as soon as you step on it to plop up and hit you in the face. But you shouldn't be surprised. You've been warned. The Old Testament is full of these things. The Old Testament is brutally honest about the brokenness of the world. But the Old Testament is also brutally honest about what God's intention was. And that intention is made known to mankind from the Exodus, from Egypt. And repeatedly when the Hebrews sinned and turned away from God, God still extended his solution. And the Old Testament calls it shalom. In Babylon, the exiles were feeling about like you and I do right now. Except they were homesick. They were in a strange place where they spoke strange languages. How many of you have been someplace where you did not understand what people were saying around you? Man. Oh, oh. And every one of us have felt whenever people were laughing when we were in that situation that they were laughing at us, right? Yep. They weren't. We think way too much of ourselves. They weren't laughing at us. But man, did we feel alone. That's the exiles. So God told Jeremiah to write a letter. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. This is in Jeremiah 29, verses 4 to 11. To all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the shalom of the city. Seek the welfare. It's translated in, in my Revised Standard. But it's shalom. Seek the shalom of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, in its shalom, you will find your own. For thus the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets and the diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you that in my name I did not send them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place, for surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your shalom and not for your harm to give you a future with hope. God has called us to be a part of people who live in not a complicated response, but in a very specific response. And Jesus makes that known to us as well. Our text this morning is Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot.
Now, don't, don't make a mistake. The salt in Jesus' day wasn't like what we got on the table. It was mostly mined around the Dead Sea, and it was not pure. There evidently, I'm no chemist. Not, I'm not the son of a chemist. I'm the brother of a chemist, but she, well, she just blurted it over me that she knew more than I did. Um, but she didn't share it very much. But evidently, there are other salts that can be combined with sodium chloride. And some of them don't impact its effectiveness. You can still use it even though it's impure. That's an important point to remember. We'll get to that. Salt doesn't have to be pure to be useful. But it was used for a lot of things. You and I use it to enhance the flavor of our food when we think our doctors aren't looking. Okay? But in Jesus' day, salt was used for essentials. It was used to preserve certain foods. It was even rubbed on babies at, after, uh, after their birth, right at their birth. In order, and I, I, I tried to do some research on that. I couldn't find it out. Just saw several references. Salt was important for rubbing on babies. But maybe... The thing that Jesus was thinking about here, I don't think he was thinking about us being rubbed on babies, is that salt was used to stop putrefaction in wounds. It didn't heal, but it made healing possible. When you read scripture, it's best if you can put yourself in that place because Scripture assumes that we are all a continuous community and that what's said to the people there is being said to us is the same. Isn't that why you study Scripture? I mean, if you don't understand that, then you don't have a, a, a real sense of why it is necessary for us to become familiar with the Word of God because we are part of the same community to which they were originally spoken. So imagine you're there that day on the side of that hill and Jesus is speaking, and he's already started the, the message, and, and you're, you're, you're taken with his words. Um, I mean, when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, you go, yeah, that's me, good. I'm glad to be blessed. Blessed are those who mourn. Who hasn't? Thank you. Blessed are the meek. Well... There may have been a few people there who didn't think they were, that knew they weren't meek, but probably most of them gave themselves benefit of the doubt. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Yeah, I should be more, you know, concerned. Blessed are the merciful. That's harder to dodge, isn't it? Don't we know whether or not we're merciful? We can't claim, lay claim for that very long. Pure in heart, peacemakers, and then the two hard ones. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Who wants that blessing? Then Jesus looks at them and he says, you are the salt of the earth. 
He didn't say you should be the salt of the earth. He didn't say you could be the salt of the earth. He said you are the salt of the earth. However, if the salt has lost its taste, it's lost its saltiness, throw it out. There are a number of ways you might look at this, but I'm convinced the only way to look at it is Jesus is saying to us, his followers, that we exist to be healers. That we exist to make healing possible, that healing comes from God, but our presence makes it possible for us for it to happen. Salt must be present to work. It doesn't help anything if it stays in the shaker. It doesn't help us if we stay in our, you know, in our own little bubbles. Salt has to be present in the world for it to take action. And you and I have been called to follow Jesus in order that shalom may be brought into the world. Into our families, yes. Into our churches, yes. Into our communities, for certain. And to the world at large, it is necessary. We aren't blessed with eternal life and life with Jesus to, so that we can avoid the evil of the world. It comes to us, even as followers of Jesus. We are called to live in that kingdom that Jesus has established, that that coexist with our culture and our world as it goes on right now. We are called to be salty people, living together but apart, as Jesus prayed in John 17. We are called to make healing possible in the midst of a sinful world. Not only our sin, not only the sin of our family, not only the sins of those that, that, that impact us, but sin is to be healed because we are present. Illness, through our prayers, through other activities that we take, we are to see physical healness because of our saltiness. Broken relationships require an application of salt until God can restore love and fellowship. For the people around us who have lost hope, they need your saltiness because you've been with the author of hope. For victims of violence, there's no recourse but salty lives who make healing possible. See, these are all the signs that Jesus replied to John. Remember in Matthew 11, John the Baptist was in prison and he sent disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one, are you really the one, or should we expect someone else? Jesus had confused John because Jesus wasn't the Messiah John expected him to be. And Jesus replied, The lame walk, the blind see, lepers are cleansed, the deaf 
have hearing restored, and the poor are hearing good news. Of course I'm the right one. Where you and I go, healing is possible. So, in that light, I have to ask your forgiveness. I have to confess to you a sin of omission that I have been committing in your midst for off and on, but mostly for the past almost six years. Because there's one other thing that in the New Testament that describes shalom, and that's koinonia. See, in the Old Testament, the koinonia was by being descendants of Abraham, being members of Israel. And in fact, if you wanted to, to worship God, you had to be if you were outside, you had to convert to Judaism. But in the New Testament, there's so many of us so different. And since the New Testament, the koinonia, that special bond of fellowship, is what you and I have to create and seek. And when Brenda and I came to this church, and I confess to you, she... Now, dragging is a little too harsh. Um, she strongly encouraged me that we should consider worshiping here. Um, but one of the things that it appealed to me, because I felt like I had given enough of my blood to the church, and enough of my skin had been taken out by church members, that this was a safe place. Because, you see, you didn't expect me to join at that level. And I didn't expect to join at that level either. And I didn't. And it's a sin. I sinned before God and before you, and I need you to forgive me because I did not work to build koinonia with you. That was too easy, but thank you. Koinonia is a sign of shalom. We are Christ agents in a broken world to make healing possible. Well, I've, now that I've confessed the sin, I've got to tell you about a failure. Um, in 1999, I was asked to co-lead a project in um, Uganda, working with AIDS orphans, fa families that had AIDS, a lot of AIDS orphans. That was a it was an epidemic in those days. So we devised the two-prong approach. One, we'd go in and find households, uh, female-headed households where they were taking care of orphans. And we would put in a um, gutter system and a water tank for them to catch. Because just on the north side of Lake Victoria, it rains 11 months of the year. And gathering water, collecting water for families can, can frequently take four to five hours a day in labor time. And so we, we thought that would be a way for these families that were stressed anyway. And so we took a group out, and our oldest son, Brian, was living and working in Houston, and he brought a couple of friends from, from where he worked, and they joined us on this trip. And the guys who had prepared for us had some houses for us to go to look at. And one of the first places we went was this house that from the front just looked 
it, it was just one of the worst houses I'd seen, even in Africa. And what I found out as we were standing in that front yard was that the grandmother who lived there had lost all eight of her children to AIDS. She had lost a number of her adult grandchildren to AIDS. And she was living in a house about a fourth the size of this sanctuary with 22 grandchildren, great grandchildren and great grandchildren, 22 that she had in that house. I walked around the back of the house and it was propped up with two tree trunks that had been cut and wedged in the ground and laid up against the, 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 the top of the frame to keep the house from falling over. And being a good steward of the funds that had been given to us, I just turned to uh, the Ugandan woman who was co-directing co this program with me and said, we can't help here. She said, what? I said, it's a waste of our resources to, to um, I, I, this house will fall down if we try to put gutters on it, let alone anything else. And I dismissed it. Well, one of the young men that had come with my son went to the, this lady on the side and said, we got to help those people. You got to convince Dwight that we got to help those people. So they began working on me. And it occurred to me that because she had so many kids there, that if we just built her a new house and fixed it right from the beginning, we would actually be spending less per orphan than we'd spent on a lot of several other houses that we had just put in a water tank. So we made arrangements for them to get a contractor, and we built her a house. Now, that was in January. I was scheduled to come back in, um, in June, I think. Um, and all this time, it, and it was primarily a Muslim community, but all this time, the local imam had been spreading rumors that my main goal was to steal this woman's land that we were going to build this house and then demand that she pay for it. And then when she couldn't pay for it, take it away from her. So we arrived on a Friday night and David, our lead staff person, said, we got to go to that house tomorrow and give her these keys. And he didn't tell me why. He just said, we got to do it tomorrow. And it wasn't until I got out there we had the whole community turned out. I mean, we had a crowd. I, I gave the woman the keys. She cried, and everybody was happy. It was a beautiful house, and we left. But we got a telephone call that afternoon. Um, the woman I was working with, her brother was one, one of the, the parish priests in that neighborhood. And he said, 15 minutes after you had given that woman keys, the, the news had traveled for for 20 kilometers in all directions, that you had given her the key. You hadn't stolen her property. You had given her the key. And when confronted with the news, he, this priest said, the local imam said, even, of the children, even the children of the infidel can do good occasionally. No. The children of Almighty God can do good all the time. Not occasionally, 
all the time. This is a healing practice. You and I must spread healing. We must our touch, our presence. We must make healing possible. Or how else can we claim to be citizens of this kingdom that Jesus initiated? It is not possible to be citizens of that kingdom and not agents of healing. It is so important that Isaiah writes about it as the ultimate goal of history in chapter 65, 17 to 25. For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years will be counted as a youth and one who falls short of a hundred, will be considered a curse. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord, and their descendants as well, before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like ox, but the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. Agents of healing. Don't get too caught up in that because we don't do the healing God does. You and I have got to deliver on the promise that Jesus has made that shalom is possible. It's possible in our families. It's possible in our church. It's possible in this community. It's possible in this state. It's possible in this country. And it's possible in this world. May God give us the grace to know how to limit the things that keep us from being agents of healing. Prayerfully consider your own agency as I pray. Lord, to you and you alone, we give thanks for life and for the hope of tomorrow. 
And I, for one, thank you for inviting us to be participants with you in the creation of a better tomorrow. That through our free will, we can choose to be on your program or against it. And your program is healing. May we, Lord, see the things that keep us from being healers. May we see the things that trip us up. And may we be known, not just as children of the infidel that can do good occasionally, but may we be known as the children of Yahweh God, saved by Jesus Christ, who do good who do healing continuously. In Jesus' name I pray. Hear Paul's words. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you to determine what is best so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and the praise of God. Amen.